You're going where? You're doing what? Are you crazy, Aunt Tam? Make sure you subscribe. Welcome to Many Roads Traveled. I'm Tamara, and I have one question for you. Do you love to travel? Awesome! Well, then I invite you to join me on my 30,000-mile road trip from Paris to Cape Town back to Nairobi. One more thing. We'll be traveling back in time to 1993 before the internet, Google Maps, and cell phones. However, not to worry because I do give you up-to-date info on each episode. Plus, you can always find more information on my website, manyroadstravel.com. So without further ado, let's hit the road. So welcome. It's episode 15. Woohoo! Can you believe it? Today's episode, we are going to be crossing into Sudan from Egypt, from the Aswan High Dam, and getting a car ferry over to Wadi Halfa, Sudan, otherwise known as halfway bloody there because <laughs> that's what the 19th century British troops used to call it and I'm guessing it's from halfway between Khartoum and Cairo. There's many names for Wadi Halfa. <laughs> and then we are going to be getting a, a thousand kilometer train from there to Khartoum although it doesn't go that smoothly. This is the beginning of two months of the hardest traveling I've ever done in my life. And that's 30 years at 76 countries. So buckle up, buttercup. So before we go any further, let's just uh, update you a little bit on my podcast journey that you're on with me. Our top five countries, like listeners from, are Canada, USA, UK. Top three remain the same, although USA is catching up to Canada. So thank you, I guess. Although, come on, Canucks and my Brits. Lovely to have you on board, my American friends down south, of course. Best of luck and get out there and vote. Not for the orange one, please. And number fourth is France. And then India, new entry. My third home is actually India. I spent three and a half years there. I can't think of any Hindi at the top of my head because as you might be able to hear, I am, I've got a really, really bad cold, hopefully not COVID, although I haven't been tested yet, but uh, I'm quite uh, breathless and have a bad cough. So I apologize for how I sound. Last week I was hungover for my birthday, this week just really sick. But as I say, the show must go on. And some other good news is I reached one of uh, my milestones. So and it was, happened just after my birthday. So my birthday is October 7th. Two days later, I got over a thousand downloads. So super happy about that. Um, so that's all thanks to you guys. Uh, really appreciate it. So yep, crossed that one. So that's great. So I guess the next milestone will be a thousand a month because we're just about well, my first full episode was out July 30th, so I'm, I'm really happy about that. This is over two months, so that's pretty cool. Okay, and then I forgot to do my review of the weeks the last couple of weeks. So this is from, well, you'll never guess who, Aunt Tamara's favorite nephew. That's you, Cody. How you doing, Coaster? <laughs> Although I think there might be a few battles on that, especially from Shay, who does my intro on my podcast. <laughs> Anyway, I love you guys all. And it says, awesome podcast. Love your podcast, Aunt Tam. Love it that you're sharing your world adventures. Thanks, bud. Okay, so let's crack on. Oh, and uh, I'm also up to 45 countries from, like, listen, different listeners from. So one of my milestones is to get to 76 
countries listeners from because that's how many countries I've been to. So we're almost there, which is so cool. All right. Now, like I said, let's crack on. So it's day 87. Uh, I'm traveling with my friend Casey, who I left Canada with. And also another reminder, this is back in 1993. So things are definitely different back then. So it's day 87. It's in April 1993. And we get the, there's an 18 hour car ferry from Aswan High Dam to, well, near Wadi Hafa. Now the Aswan High Dam, that's like the biggest, I guess it's the world largest uh, embankment dam that stretches across the Nile in the world. So that's pretty crazy. In 1971, when the dam was completed, 100,000 Egyptians had to be displaced, but they got displaced pretty close and the Egyptian government paid for it. Unfortunately, not so great for the Sudanese and they're the Nubian tribe. 65,000 got displaced. It took literally something like 40 years for the Egyptians to build them a new town and they build it 700 kilometers away. So where there's not Nubian tribes and it's a completely different part of Sudan. So the Sudanese got screwed pretty, pretty bad by the Egyptians there. So after this very long 18 hour ferry ride, which I guess there is, I don't know if there was at my time, but there is now like first and second class, but reading from other travelers who've been doing the, you know, did this crossing more recent than I did. Oh my God, my breathing's so bad. Sorry. First class, it's pretty dirty. It's like four, four person, uh, cabins, but I think the linen is probably the same linen from when I went 93. So second class, you're just kind of on the decks and that's what we did. The co-captain kind of took a shine to me. So he let me sleep in the, me and Casey sleep in our sleeping bags on the deck, kind of in a cordon off VIP area. So <laughs> that was fine. Anyway, so you get to, get across the border uh, into Sudan and you just hop on a truck and it's about 30k to actually Wadi Halfa. And then we just changed some money, I guess I call them the black market, but so many countries, even now around the world, even the government, like they get licensed. So yeah, just be careful, like just count your money if you ever do, you know, do it that way. I mean, I've done it many, many times and I think I've only been ripped off a couple times. So, but anyway, so back then it was about 180 to 200 Sunnis pounds to the US dollar on the black market through the bank. It was about 100 and so 120, 130. Nowadays, like 2020, it's 55. Yeah, so the, the truck, it was, I don't know, it was about 25 cents to get to Hawaii Halfa. And, but for me, it was, it was huge because it finally felt like I was in Africa when I got into Sudan. I've been so excited because we, you know, we came through the Middle East. Yeah. And if this is your first episode, I really highly recommend starting with episode one to get the backstory and then just come along the, along the trip, you know, the whole trip with me. It, it's, you know, hopefully it's quite interesting and entertaining anyways. Yeah, so we get into Wadi Halfa and it's, there's not much there. <laughs> it's, it's very wide open. There's kind of like a no man's land and there's a few rectangular concrete buildings. Two of those are their motels. I won't even call them hotels. There's a little market. There's a little train station and that, then a couple of shops. That's, that's literally it. Now on this ferry, there's between five and 600 passengers, all local people. There's like me, Casey, and a French couple who we had met uh, in Siwa Oasis actually uh, in Egypt. 
That was it. So just the four of us, uh, Westerners. So by the time we got to the Wadi Nile Hotel, <laughs> uh, all the rooms were taken. This is my dash. We didn't obviously know this. And then, so we just got a cot, what they called on their veranda, I call hallway. <laughs> and that was it. That was, and it was about 75 cents a night to sleep in a hallway on a cot. And then the, they have a court. I mean, this sounds a lot fancier than it was even just saying courtyard, but they had a courtyard. And remember, you're in the middle of, you know, Sudan is literally the Sahara Desert. So the only kind of most people, except for the Nubians, you know, nomads and other tribes like that, you know, people live and the only vegetation is along the Nile. So that cut, that goes right through Sudan. And then it splits in Khartoum. Yeah. So the courtyard is a, was an, you know, open space. There was a, a water well there. There was a couple, I don't know, maybe five or six outhouses and I think two kind of showers, more like bucket showers. And they were only, the water was only on, I think, two hours a day max. And in, even in, because like I said, there's five, six hundred people coming off on the ferry, two motels, which, and then people just either get trucks and head out right away or camels or whatever they do. But there's a lot of people there for a short period of time because the train only runs once a week to get down to Khartoum and it's never on time, it seems. So anyway, we got our cot and just, you know, resigned myself to no privacy. <laughs> it's very hot and there's nothing to do. And that basically will sum up my next few days. In the mornings, I'd head over to the market very limited choices uh so usually we get mangoes tomatoes onions some bread which was quite like paper thin bread but didn't matter where i got that bread from they'd just be full of stone like little stones because i understand you're in the desert they're cooking outside and it gets windy and so i think i probably chipped every single tooth in my head just on sudanese bread and just in wadi Hof. uh also bananas i mean if we were really lucky they might have some tamania which are like falafels and tins of sardines. That would be it. <laughs> and then the rest of the day would be just spent reading, you know, writing in my journal, uh, playing cards. I think I was still winning in backgammon, much to Casey's annoyance and sleeping. And also when you ate, because there was 10 million uh, flies, I'd have to be on my cot with my mosquito net over my head and food and eat that way. And still the mosquito net would be covered in flies. It was brutal. And then at about five o'clock, I would head over to these two old ladies, uh, local ladies, and have cups of tea with them. They couldn't speak English, but we'd, you know, I got... Definitely this trip, I learned how to, you know, mime slash hand signals, um, you know, just kind of act out what I was trying to say, communicate uh, with locals. And it tends to work pretty good. My, it's kind of like my travel sign language, I guess I would call it. But yeah, so I hung out with these old ladies every day around five. Sometimes I'd have food from them, like for my dinner, and it'd either be, I don't even know what it was. There's this brownish green sauce and their bread. Or I'd go to another vendor and get fool and bread. <laughs> and fool is kind of like a a bean, it, it, kind of a gravy sauce. It varies in how good it can be from different people. Yeah, that was pretty much it. And then to relieve my boredom, because Sudan is Islam fundamental, uh, fundamental, fundamentalist Islamic, 
or Islamic fundamentalists, sorry, this cold screwing my head up. There's no alcohol. Alcohol was illegal. Yeah, so they had this snuff, which is, you know, basically chewing tobacco, which they grew themselves. And they keep it in their little, they get these Nivea, you know, Nivea face cream, the little tins. So, you know, kind of the more wealthy ones would have them in their, their the, these Nivea tins. And yeah, just chew tobacco and that that's it. That's all they could do really out there. Although I did get offered some uh, like moonshine, Sudanese moonshine from a couple of these guys. Oh my God. It tasted like lighter fluid or gasoline. It's just not good at all. But I tried it because when else are you going to try Sudanese moonshine? But the chewing tobacco, I kind of got into because, like I said, very bored. And I get such a head rush off of it because I was, I just started, I'd never had tobacco before, my, except Egypt, like the month before when I was on the shisha pipes. So the chewing tobacco, like I take it and then about five, ten minutes later, my head would be spinning. I'd have this crazy high and I'd often lie down, just lie down wherever I was, middle of the road, wherever. So, of course, the locals, I became a firm favorite because they just thought it was hilarious. And then I'd, I'd obviously acted up a bit too, right? Just to make them laugh. But then very quickly, and I couldn't go anywhere without being stopped by like four or five, six people offering me their Nivea tins and just kind of like waiting for me to do my, my act, I guess. Although it was an act, I really would be tripping. <laughs> I really had spit it. I'd, I'd have to lie down. Anyways, it made them laugh. It's wasted some, like killed some time, and it was all fun. So yeah, those were basically my days, <laughs> waiting for this bloody train. Because of course it was late, and then finally day ninety-two. So we got there day eighty-eight. So four days later, this train finally rolls in. It's gonna leave at eight p.m. that night. So we'd we'd already got our tickets, and we went for the first class ticket. So it was like $11 for first class ticket, which to go a thousand kilometers. So happy days. We could finally, and even the, the, like at the hotel, like hotel, use that term loosely, you know, with the water well, like I had a water filter, which luckily my uncle gave me before I left. Cause that saved not just my life, but Casey's life and other people I traveled with down the, down the road so many times. And back then in 93, there wasn't that many small portable water filters. So that was awesome. So it's just a cup and you take the filter out and put it on top of the cup and then the, the water through it. And it just took out everything. So yeah, we had to use that. And it would take some time to, to filter through too. But definitely, definitely important to have a water filter these days still. Anyway, so we get on the train. Uh, about 7.30, we luck out, we think we luck out, because we found a, like, it's just a three-seater compartment. They're usually, all the other ones were six, so it was kind of like a half compartment. But we just, just were like, we're not going to let anyone else in. <laughs> However, the actual seats, you know, there was no padding, because they rip all the seat cover, like, all the seat padding out, and they use it for their bicycle seats. So you're literally just sitting on wood slats really comfortable. Now, like I said, this train ride is a thousand kilometers. It could last anywhere from 35 to 50 hours <laughs> through the desert. So like I said, just falls around though. But we thought, well, at least Casey had his thermorest, like a little blow up mattress, like it's like one inch thick kind of thing. We could put that, you know, so one of us can lay down the floor, one of us can lay on the seats kind of thing. So we, we thought, okay, this is great, you know, whatever. But also in the train, there's no window panes. So there's windows, but no window panes. So 
just imagine how dirty you get. You got, you know, you're in a the biggest sandbox you've ever seen in your life uh, with just sand coming in on you. It was crazy. And this was first class. <laughs> I think second class was on the roof of the train, really, because there was people all on, or maybe that was third class. And they only had, they had two water, like two carriages that were the water tanks. And then like the, the bathrooms, you just, you know, just the whole in the train and people and pee on the tracks. The next day, so day 93, we wake up at six in the morning and we're not moving. I mean, we'd stop through the night. And obviously like African nights are pitch black. So as the sun goes down, you so we couldn't really see anything because we didn't leave till eight o'clock at night. So six in the morning. I'm like, case like we haven't moved for it seems like for quite a while. So at eight in the morning, like two hours later, I'm like, I'm gonna check out what's happening. Because a lot of people couldn't speak English either, so we didn't know. So I'm like, I'm just gonna check it out for myself. So I got out, walked to the front of the train. The bloody tracks have been washed away. It's like, what the hell has happened here? Well, I guess there was a literally a 10, 15 minute flash flood thunderstorm in the night we didn't even hear. And it just washed the tracks away. And they've been trying to fix them, but they can't fix them. So we have to go back to bloody Wadi Halfa. But backwards. The whole, like, we, so we've been traveling for 12 hours, about. Well, 10 hours, I guess. Uh, it's 8 p.m. to 6 a.m. Oh, my God. I was like, are you kidding me? This is absolutely ridiculous. Like, we've just spent four or five days in Wadi Halfa. Brutal, brutal, brutal. <laughs> I don't want to go back. I'd travel backwards the whole time. But we had no option, and that's what we had to do. So we got back to Wadi Halfa at 6 p.m. 22 hours of traveling, going nowhere. I hate backtracking at the best of times, but 22 hours on the train from hell, back to hell, half hell. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, so we went back to the Wadi Nile Hotel, got our cot back in the hallway, still couldn't even get a room, and just was yeah just, it was a bit heartbreaking i mean the only good thing about what he helped was the people the people were awesome sunnis people so nice and it was such a relief after egypt like you know the sexual harassment and just constant especially in luxor nazwan like buying stuff like you know just the tourist has harassment on top of the sexual harassment it was a bit so Sudan was a lot, like, didn't have any of that. Just really, really lovely people. Just nothing to do. Like, I actually started feeling like I was in jail. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, shitty food, check. Nothing to do, check. Really, really hot. Public bathrooms and showers, if you could get them. Like the two, like I said, the water was only on for two hours. And you pretty much just got a bucket of water. That was, you know, it's called bucket showers. Uh, yeah, just killing time, basically, <laughs> waiting for your prison break which we thought we had so it was even harder it's like what we escaped no we gotta go back so guess what i did on day 94 nothing you're right <laughs> although i did get a nine infection so that was new uh, i don't know if it's just the filthiness of the trade or not getting good water and did what Halfa. so yeah definitely could not wear my contacts for quite a while you know no medication for it so it just kind of had to do my best. It was quite painful. So the other good, big, exciting news is just in that day away, uh, the Wadi Nile Hotel created their own little cafe in the courtyard with actual real tables and chairs. And we had dinner there that night and it was potatoes. 
and navy beans, which we hadn't had before. So that was new food, our first new food in, in almost a week. So that was it. That was our excitement for the day. Usual daily routine for the rest of the day. Stay out of the sun and the flies. So often you're under, under my mosquito net in my cot in the hallway. And the lack of privacy was driving me a bit crazy too. Um. Anyway, so then day 95, the French couple, they're like, screw this. We're not waiting for this train because we still hadn't heard about the train. So the only other ways out of there was uh, fly or hitch rides on trucks. So they're like, we're flying. So they bought, they sold their train tickets, bought their flights from Wadi Halfa, wherever the airport was, to Khartoum. Now, Casey was like, we should do that. I'm so sick and tired of this waiting. This is ridiculous. This is, yeah, this is pretty much hell. And I'm like, tell me about it, Case. If it wasn't for you, I had to be in the Caribbean right now, island, yacht hopping. <laughs> Instead, I'm stuck in 40 degree heat jail. <laughs> So you can zip it. We're not flying. That's the whole goal of this trip. Or <laughs> One of the goals is to get from Paris to Cape Town by land or water. So we're not throwing it away now. Well, two to three hours later, we find out the tracks are fixed. The train's leaving at seven. So see, I'm usually always right. <laughs> I know it's annoying, but it just happens to be true. So yeah, so we're like, oh my God, we're finally out of here. Here we go again. So we went to the market, got whatever food we could get for the train ride, had our dinner at our little cafe hotel which was actually just gross slop that night and then get on the train about 6 30 managed to get our three seater compartment back and left at 7 p.m and said goodbye like hopefully please our last goodbye to wadi halfa said you know obviously said goodbye to all my little local buddies and my two old ladies like I said, that was definitely, they were the best part of Wadi Halfa by far. So day 96, train, 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 train. So if you think traveling through the desert and it's super hot would be boring, you would definitely be right. <laughs> the best bits definitely of this ridiculously long train journey was We'd stop. We stopped quite, you know, quite often. But we'd stop and it looked like middle of nowhere, just the desert. But like I said, we do follow the Nile, so you do have that veg that little bit of lush green vegetation. And we stop them, and all of a sudden, all these people come out of nowhere. I'm like, where did they come from? Because the trains, the schedule is so erratic. How do they even know it's coming? Or I don't know. And you know, the people they'd be selling, you know, but you know, food they've made or wedding wares they might have. But the cutest would be the, the little kids. They'd have the, the plastic buckets of water and sell you a cup of water, which is just from the Nile where it's not, you know, it's not clean. It's where they go to the bathroom and animals die in it and, you know, all sorts, you know, it's a river. Of course, 10 hours into our train journey, both the water compartments are bone dry. So the only way to get water is from the kids selling it by the bucket. <laughs> So a cup of water was like five cents and they're cute. And then, you know, the, again, like not many Westerners, especially, you know, Caucasian Westerners were coming through that part of the world. So we were always a bit of a novelty. That's for sure. And as I said before, you know, there's no window panes on this train. It's so filthy. Like we, it was like, I, it was just ridiculous how dirty we got. And I hardly ate because also have this eye infection. So I just didn't feel like, cause you're so dirty, you can't clean. And I'm like, I don't want to get even sicker. So hardly ate. 
and just dreamt of the food in Khartoum, thinking, well, it's a capital, you know, it's a big city, they've surely got to have food there. So that's Casey and I were just doing that. And then, of course, just reading and able to kind of play cards on the tray with the window, the wind. So we had to be careful with that. Again, just killing time. Oh, I mean, also, I mean, the scenery is, yeah, there are moments, especially at the sunset like the, and sunrise. There were, it was beautiful. I mean, the desert, I think, is beautiful because it literally is like a sea of sand and you get the different hues of the colors. So the sand will change from the yellows to reds to orange. So it's really pretty. And of course, like I said, you're along the Navajo way. So you always have that lush vegetation. So it's, it is pretty. It's just a long time. So day 97 rolls around. We're still on that bloody train. I never it just it felt like that train ride. Literally, it was a train ride from hell. It would never end. And we've already done, remember, 22 hours of going nowhere, basically. So I was just like, come on, where is Khartoum? And of course, we get the closer we get to Khartoum, the more stops we have because of, you know, bigger villages closer to the city and, you know, some smaller towns. And also, it, the closer we get, to, the hotter it was getting. I mean, it had to be plus 40 degrees Celsius. Easy. But after 42 hours, we finally rolled into Khartoum. Dirt bags, very tired, hungry dirt bags, but... We finally did it. So it was 42 hours on that, plus our 22 hours going nowhere. You know, kind of add those up. 66 hours on that train. Crazy. So, to hear about Khartoum, and if we found food, <laughs> it turned into next Thursday's episode to hear all about that. And now it's time for Tam's Top Tips. So, tip number one is don't do this trip. <laughs> Just kidding. Well, not really. <laughs> well, you could maybe cut out this bit, but I'm, yeah, joking. If you want to do it, then definitely do it. It's definitely an adventure and and you felt a sense of accomplishment after it. That is for sure. The car ferry from Aswan High Dam, which is about 30K from Aswan, that leaves every Sunday between 2 and 4 p.m. And yeah, it takes between 18 and 20 hours to get to Wadi Halfa. And then the other way, I think it, they leave on Wednesdays. The train, like I said, it runs once a week from Wadi Halfa to Khartoum. But good luck. <laughs> That's all I got to say because I can't see anything really has changed. Okay, tip two. There are now buses that you can get uh, from Aswan to Wadi Halfa or even from Aswan straight to Khartoum. But from Aswan to Wadi Halfa, it's about 12 hours. And I guess from Wadi Halfa to Khartoum, is about 12 hours. And they would br- take a break in you spend the night in Wadi Halfa. And it's pretty cheap. I think it's only about 12, uh, 12 or $15 to Wadi Halfa, and then probably another $12 to Khartoum. But apparently the customs and the border crossings are a nightmare. So you got to weigh up the options. I think the ferry's cooler because you go on like, like Nasser, which was actually created once the dam was built. So like the water overflow created this whole lake where the original Wadi Halfa was. So... I would still probably do the ferry. Maybe the bus to Khartoum from Wadi Halfa instead of the train might be a good idea because they leave daily. So I think they leave like in the mornings. And then tip number three is get snuffed. I am sure they are still chewing on their tobacco. Uh, so definitely give it a try. It's fun. And like I said, you've got nothing else to do. Even if you get on the bus, you got 12 hours. So it's fun. And obviously talk to the, the locals are amazing. So like that was the best 
apart so far as Sudan were the local people. So definitely um, hang out with them. Even if you can't speak the same language, just mime it out, sign language. They'll, you know, you figure it out. And then for women, you know, even though Sudan is an uh, Islamic fundamentalist country, they treat women much, much better, especially foreign women than, like I said, Egypt. So no problems. But, you know, make sure you're covered up. You know, definitely shoulders and knees are covered. Then you will be fine. And like I said, very lovely people. So no worries there. Okay, so that is a wrap. Hopefully I'll be feeling better next week. And I won't be sniffing and coughing nearly as much. Uh, okay, so until next Thursday, oh, make sure you guys uh, hit up the website, manyroadstravel.com, and subscribe so you don't miss an episode along the way, and of course, leave me a review would be awesome, so you get your weekly shout out. Okay, so until next week, safe travels, one road at a time. Cheers! Cheers!